Would you turn with me this evening in the scriptures to the book of Galatians, Galatians the third chapter. We began uh, last week, I believe it was our first part of a new series on this subject of being redeemed from the curse of the law. Anybody glad that you've been redeemed from the curse of the law? And the Lord is taking us some interesting places with this. You know, sometimes people, especially in word, faith, charismatic circles, they hear that and they think, well, yeah, I already know that. No, there's a whole lot about this you don't know yet. Right? And that I hadn't seen yet. Nobody has exhausted all the light and revelation from Galatians 3.13. Are there things in there we haven't seen yet? Yes. Well, let's look for them tonight. Let's be open. Let's be hungry. In Galatians, the third chapter and the seventh verse, Galatians 3.7. He said, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel, the good news to Abraham, saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. Now here he calls this message the gospel. Now he summed it up in the phrase. What phrase described the gospel that was preached and proclaimed to Abraham? In you shall all nations be what? Blessed. Did you know that in many, many places of the world and in many churches, the gospel has not really been preached? Did you know that? Tradition has been preached. Men's ideas have been preached. Experience has been preached. Accepted doctrine and dogma has been preached, but not the gospel. Hmm? So many times people have preached, you sorry rascals, you sinners, you're going to hell if you don't change. And call that the gospel. That's not the gospel. I said, that's not the gospel. What does gospel mean? Anybody know? Gospel literally means good news. You sorry sinners, you're going to hell. Is that good news? That's bad news. Right? It's bad news, not good news. Right? What's the good news? Well, now let's... Don't just fill in the blanks. Right here. Right here. What's the good news? In you shall all nations be blessed. When you heard that you're now blessed, that's good news. That's the, especially if you were cursed. You were lost, you were without, you were cursed, but now you're in Him, you're cleansed, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, and you're blessed. That's good news. Anybody that believed that, they'd have to smile and say, thank you, Lord. Right? Blessed. Blessed in Christ. Well, he said, you know, in you and Abraham, in you will all nations be blessed. Well, we know how the Lord has done it. Christ, he goes on to say through the rest of the passage, is the seed of Abraham, right? And through the master. 
And through what he's done at the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his victory is our victory. And even though we had sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death and cursing, thank God in him, Jesus took our sins. He bore it. He paid the price. Now, though we deserved cursing, he took the cursing he didn't deserve so we could get the blessing we didn't deserve. Everybody say, what a deal. What a deal. <laughs> Keep reading. He said in verse uh, Nine, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Who is that? Huh? Anybody in here that is of faith? Huh? And call yourself the seed of Abraham by faith in Christ Jesus. Then you are what? You couldn't say it too much. I said, you couldn't say it too much if you just went around all night tonight and tomorrow and next week. And when you're brushing your teeth in between brushes, you go, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Spraying your hair. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Driving your car, shifting gears. I'm blessed. Hallelujah. And I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Blessed. I'm blessed. Right? I'm blessed. Somebody said, what are you talking about? But you, you, you must renew your mind. Because everything around you is telling you you're not. Everything around you is trying to tell you you're a loser. You're cursed. You take one step forward, get knocked back three. You ain't going to make it. It's not going to work. There's no way. You're cursed. You're cursed. You're a sorry sinner. You've messed up so many times. You've failed so many times. How could you expect to be blessed? No, you've sinned. You've failed. So you're cursed. But no, in Christ, our sins are washed away. Right? No sin means no punishment. No curse. Right? In Him, we've been made right. Made righteous, made clean, right? Which means we deserve, are able to receive the blessing, not because of what we've done, but because of what the Lord has done for us. Say it again, I'm blessed. I'm not cursed. I'm blessed. Now let me encourage you, say this. Don't just say it while you're in church tonight, but say it tonight at home. Say it tomorrow. Say it. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You speak it over your marriage. You speak it over your children. My children are blessed. My grandchildren are blessed. They're blessed. Right? Not cursed. Blessed. He said they which are of faith are what? They are blessed with faithful Abraham. Now skip on down to verse 13. The wonderful. This See, the Bible calls this good news. Right? This is good news. Here's some wonderful news. Christ, the anointed one, has already redeemed us, bought and paid for us, and bought us back from under the power of the curse of the law. He did it by being made a curse for us. He was cursed in our place. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. That, or we could say, why did he do that? Why did he take the curse? And why did he redeem and buy us back from the curse? In order that the blessing 
Oh, hallelujah. The blessing. The blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ at you, at you, at me. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And he did. And we have. And we are. Woo! Blessed. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> you can tell when you start believing it. Can't you? You can tell. It starts going off inside you and you just get happier and happier. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. And nothing deters you. Nothing moves you. You believe you can come through anything. Because it's not just you and your own strength. Something else is on you. Something else, someone else is in you. There's an empowerment to succeed. Hallelujah. There's ability to overcome and to prosper and to win. What is it? It's the blessing. That's what the blessing is. Is empowerment to prosper and succeed. Glory to God. So that's why you need to go around all the time, you and me, go around all the time saying, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. My business is blessed. My marriage is blessed. My kids are blessed. My dog is blessed. My cat is blessed. My cows are blessed. My donkeys are blessed. My goats are blessed. All the little animals that live on my land are blessed. Is that right? My trees are blessed. Is that right? Blessed. I'm blessed. Blessed. I'm protected. I'm prospered. Enabled, graced. You say all that when you say, I'm blessed. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing. Say it one more time, I'm blessed. Now, in talking about this, you know, we got into some uh, important things last week in talking about the blessing and the cursing. Go back with me to Deuteronomy. And eventually you know we're going to get into that 28th chapter. We're working up to that. But I don't think we're quite ready for that right now. Deuteronomy 11. Precedes 28 of course. Look at this in Deuteronomy 11. And verse 26, Deuteronomy eleven, twenty-six. Now, is it a good news gospel fact that we have been redeemed from the curse of the law in order that the blessing of Abraham might come on us? Right? Is that a fact, a truth of the gospel? Yes, yes. Well, now notice this in Deuteronomy 11, because all this, so you wouldn't even know what the curse of the law is. You wouldn't have any reference to what that means and what he's talking about if you didn't go back to these passages. And uh, I think sometimes people are really at a disadvantage because they've never read the Old Testament. And uh, the Holy Spirit, through the writers of the New Testament, assume that you're familiar with the Old Testament. 
Read through the New Testament sometime with that in mind and see what I'm talking about. They'll make reference to things and not explain them. Why? They assume you're familiar with Deuteronomy. They assume you're familiar with Genesis. Right? And you're at a disadvantage if you don't read it and don't think about it. The Old Testament is the Word of God too. Right? Not just the New. Now in Deuteronomy 11 and 26, he said through Moses, he said, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day and go after other gods which you've not known. He said, I set before you a blessing and a curse. Now, what is a blessing? We've given you some definitions, but let me give you some other things. Uh, If you look it up and look at the scriptures and look at the definitions, it has to do with a divine empowerment. The ability of God to enable, to prosper, to succeed, to be victorious, blessed. What is a curse? A curse is the very opposite of a blessing. A curse means that you're damned, that you're doomed, dedicated to destruction. Destined, we could say, and dedicated to destruction. Doomed. No matter what you do, it's going to fail. Right? You work hard. You spend your money, you get up early, you go late, and it flops. You do everything you know to do, and it fails. That's not being blessed, right? You work and work and work and work and get a hold of it, and somebody else takes it away from you. Hmm? You finally get to the place where you could enjoy it, and something happens and you can't. You lose it or you lose the ability to enjoy it. This is a curse. Well, are you cursed? Are you blessed? Now, we, you know, we got into some things last week that have to do with what, I don't know, it's tradition. But it is so broadly and widely accepted in the church. And we're going to go into it further tonight about blessing and cursing. You'll hear people talking about Something that is very bad. And they'll say, well, it's a blessing in disguise. You ever heard that? I'm not talking about, you know, in the bar somewhere. I'm talking about in the church. Right? In the church. Well, you know, it's bad. They were destroyed. They were devastated. But really, it was a blessing in disguise. If it's a curse, it never becomes a temporary blessing. Right? It's either a curse or a blessing. 
And we need to get it straight and not call blessings curses and not call curses blessings. Now we know, thank God, that in the middle of destruction, God is able to give deliverance. Right? And God can take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it around. Right? And bring something good out of it. But that doesn't make the destruction good. And it doesn't make the curse a blessing. Right? Now y'all are with me, right? You believe in God together with me? I'd like to get to some things. Somebody said, well, just go ahead and spit it out. No, it's not that simple. People have to have ears to hear it. And if people are not ready to hear it or willing to hear it and the Lord doesn't release you, then you'd actually be making a mistake by getting into it. But let's go further tonight. You hear people say this, when some bad things happen, terrible disease, terrible accidents, terrible destruction, and Christians, and I'm not talking about other people, Christians will look at you and try to act wise and go, well, now I just believe that everything happens for a reason. You ever heard that? Well, I just believe that God has a purpose in all these things, and we don't really know what it is, but God has a purpose. <laughs> well, what's wrong with that, Brother Keith? Well, what's right about that? I know it is commonly and widely believed, but based on what? People ain't quoting scriptures when they say that. Now, did you feel that just right then? Did you feel that? A little bit of tightening. Did you feel that? Well, Brother Keith, that's what my mama said all along. Well, what scripture did she quote when she said that? That's what my preacher says all the time. Well, what scripture is he quoting when he says that? Hmm? Listen, we're going to get into some things tonight, into some scripture. People have confused things. They've jumbled a bunch of things together. And ignorance of the word and confusion. And wound up calling curses Blessings in disguise. Now, let's analyze these statements. According to this verse, who gets the blessing? Hmm? He said, behold, I set before you today, right now, a what? Blessing. What else? curse. Now a blessing if what? If you obey me. Hmm? Now see we got into this last week. That there's all kind of people. Bad things will happen and they'll try to tell you that it's coming on them because they're obeying God. Hmm? Oh man you know we stepped out to build that church and oh all hell broke loose. 
every bad thing. What are they trying to say? That we're obeying God and the curses are pouring. I says, well, Brother Keith, I've had some I know we're going to talk about that. But there is a problem in that thinking. And in that talking, there is an inference that because you stepped out and obeyed God, you got cursed. And that can't be right. I said, that can't be right. The curse doesn't come because you obey. If you obey, what do you say? Blessing. Is cancer a blessing? Is not enough money to pay your bills a blessing? No. No. Tornado tearing up your church. Is that a blessing? No. 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 Just hold on. Just don't. (laughs) Hold on. Don't believe a thing I say unless you see it in this book. Right? Don't take my word for it. Not even asking you to. Why does the curse come? What does it say right here? A curse if what? If you will not obey. We read last week in Proverbs, the curse causeless shall not come. Right? If it's a curse, why is it? According to this, it's disobedience. Some form. Whether through ignorance or whether through rebellion, that's why the Lord said the curse comes. Disobedience. Why does the blessing come? The blessing is God's reward for faith and faithfulness. Right? The curse is the result and the wages of disobedience and rebellion and disbelief. Now you can see people have tried to mix it all up, haven't they? They've tried to mix it all up and what they're saying when they say these supposedly extremely wise things and they say, well, now I just believe God's got a reason for everything. What are they saying? They're saying everything that is happening, all of this bad stuff is God. They're saying God is responsible for every bad thing that happened and every good thing that didn't happen. God is responsible. We don't know why he did it or why he didn't do it, but it's God. It's God. And we just can't understand it. But God, well now, hey, there's other people involved in this besides God. What about the devil? I said, what about the devil? The Bible said he comes. Not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. What about him? And what about people? What about all of us? And what we do and what we don't do? Why is it all up to God? Why do we have nothing to do with it? See, people like what I call no-fault religion. No matter what happens, it ain't my fault. No matter what doesn't happen. It ain't my fault. And see, that's real convenient to just put it all, you know, to get wise and go, well, 
I just believe there's a reason. God has a reason for all these bad things. Now hold on, hold on. If it is a curse, then it is not the perfect will of God for you to have it. Simple. Now go with me, if you would, to First Peter. <laughs> Help, Lord. I know this is different, you know, for some people. I know it is. But get your eyes off of me now and listen to these verses and see if this agrees with what you've been hearing and believing. First Peter. Notice this. First Peter 2. Verse 19. He said, this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults? Everybody say, for your faults. What glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? What good is that? What glory is in that? What's the answer? He's asking us a question. None. None. He went on to say, but if when you do well and you suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed." For you were his sheep going astray, but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now keep that in mind. Go to the fourth chapter of 1 Peter. He repeats this truth. He said, verse 12, 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice. It's another way of saying count it all joy. You fall into different trials and temptations. Rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now see, a lot of people will stop right here, not having read those previous verses, but they just hear suffering and the sufferings of Christ and about our cross to bear. Did you hear me? And because of gross ignorance of the Bible, they equate curses in their life to the suffering for the Lord. Did you hear me? You cannot suffer a curse for the Lord. 
Now, I'm going to tell you what you can suffer. We're going to talk about that side of it. But get this straight now. You cannot suffer a curse for the Lord. A curse in your life cannot be your cross that you're bearing. If it's a curse, you're not suffering for the Lord. Did you see another cause of suffering? First Peter 2, did you see another cause? What was it? For your own faults. Did you see that? What glory is there in that? He said, if you take that patiently, he said, what glory is that? What good is it? Are y'all with me now? Can you see that people have jumbled this all together? Haven't they? And they're suffering for their own faults, curses, and yet they pretend that they're taking it patiently for the Lord. This is happening all over. This is happening all over. People are suffering curses in their life and they talk about, well, we just, I guess this is just my cross to bear. I just believe the Lord's got some purpose in it. There's no way you or I are suffering curses for the Lord's sake. We're going to talk about the other side of this here soon, but look. If you be reproached, verse 14, for the name of Christ, for what? For the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. Now here, now I'm going to give you another word here now. Here he's talking about not suffering a curse. He's talking about suffering persecution. Persecution. Now I want you to build a wall in your mind. A great big stone wall. And on this side is curses. And on this side is persecution. What do you mean, Brother Key? Divide it in your mind. They are not the same. Did you hear me? Being cursed is not at all like being persecuted. Okay? Can you suffer curses for the Lord's sake? No, you cannot. People are saying they are, but it ain't true. Can you suffer persecution for the Lord's sake? Yes. In fact, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer being cursed. No, Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Right? But they shall suffer what? Persecution. Persecution. Are y'all with me now? Y'all believe in God with me? We're making good ground in here. What is a curse? Curse is being dedicated to destruction. Right? It's being doomed to failure. What is persecution? Let me give you it's completely different words. Completely different words from a curse. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, let me give you some definitions. Some of the main words that are translated persecution 
in the Old Testament means literally to run after. To run after. In the New Testament, it means literally to pursue. Are you hearing any continuity here? To run after, to pursue. You could say to chase. To chase. And if you look at the context, it is for the purpose of harassment. To chase for the purpose of harassment. Today, we'd probably, instead of using the word persecute, it's some people in church use these words, they don't know what they mean, but we'd probably use the word today, harass. Harass. We know what that means. And you can see that it goes beyond just human offense. We're going to talk about this a little later, but for uh, Paul, when he, you know, got born again on the road to Damascus and then launched out into the ministry. Afterwards, because of the revelation that God had given him and it was coming out, there were people that thought it was their calling in life to pay their way and follow him and to cause him problems. You remember that? Now, that don't even make sense that you're spending your own money To travel and follow this preacher around. So you can try to stir up trouble in his meetings. And virtually everywhere Paul went. They had revival. And riot. Because of this harassment. That the enemy was instigating through these unbelieving people. Called persecution. Is that the same as being cursed? Are you with me now? You've got a major division in your thinking on this. Cursing is not persecution. Can you suffer curses for the Lord's sake? You cannot. If you're suffering them, it must be for what? For your sake. There's another way of saying because of your own faults. Because of your own mistakes. Whether ignorantly or sometimes people do things in ignorance, but it's still their own failings and mistakes. And then there's rebellion, right? You know what to do and don't do it, and it opens the door to problems. Curses are not blessings. Never are they blessings in disguise, and you cannot suffer a curse for the Lord's sake. Now, if you'd get this settled in your heart real strong tonight, I'm telling you, it'll help you for the rest of your life. It'll help your whole family. Why? Because the devil has tried to ingrain in the church for century after century so that the church will just lay down with disease and lay down with defeat and lay down with poverty because, well, we just don't know. The Lord's teaching us something. When you're supposed to be fighting it, you're supposed to be standing up saying, no, I'm not cursed. I resist this in Jesus' name. But see, if you believe that you're supposed to have it, you're not going to fight it. Which is what the devil's been after. And he's got so much of the church convinced that it's God cursing them. Oh, but we've heard good news. The anointed one has already redeemed us from all the curse. 
Well, in the process of time, unless the Lord leads us another way, we're going to get into this Leviticus and we're going to get into Deuteronomy 28 and he enumerates specifics of the curse, doesn't he? Have you read it? I mean, financial problems and losing things and not producing profit and every kind of sickness and disease you can think of that's ever been named and not named is in there, right? Well, then how can we be suffering these things mentioned in the curse of the law for the Lord's sake? In 2005, you cannot. People are saying they are, but they're not. They're confused. You cannot suffer a curse for the Lord's sake. But you can suffer, and you will if you serve God fully, suffer persecution, which another way of saying that is what? Harassment. Have you ever been harassed? Because you are a believer. Hmm? Eight or nine people. Have you ever been harassed? You know, standing on the word of God. Saying, I believe this when it's not popular. Hmm? Well, you haven't been redeemed from that. (laughs) You haven't been redeemed from persecution. And there is suffering that goes with that. Hmm? There's been just in a couple of decades or so that Phyllis and I have been in the ministry. Been, we've had a couple of rough spots. What do you mean? Where the harassment was to the degree that it, you suffered. You hurt. There's been times, thank God, not every day, you know, but there's been times when it hurt. We haven't been redeemed from that. But we have been graced Amen. to overcome. And we have. And you'll come out stronger. Amen. And that's what the Bible talks about. Suffering of that kind qualifies you to receive glory with Christ in the days to come. So it's why he said when that kind of stuff starts happening, people speak evil of you and they try to hurt you. For my name's sakes. Not for just doing anything, but for doing what he told you to do. And obeying him. He said, shout. Rejoice. Be glad. Why? He said, that's how they did the prophets of old. That's how they did Jesus. Right? You in good company, brother, sister. Right? And you're going to be rewarded with them. That's not for suffering curses. Now let's back up. Did Jesus suffer persecution? Yeah. Was he harassed for doing what the Father told him to do? He wasn't just doing his own program. He said, I only say those things I hear the Father say. I do only what I see him do. I do always those things that please him. He wasn't doing his own thing, as they say. Was he doing exactly what the Father God told him to say and to do? Was he harassed about it? He was spit on. He was slapped. He was scourged. He was crucified. Right? Now let's back up. In his life of service to the Lord up to the cross now, before the cross, was he cursed? Even one day of his life? Did he live under curses? No. Do you see the difference now? 
He was not cursed. How many days out of Jesus' life was he sick? How many days could he not go preach? He couldn't go to the temple because he was laid up with the flu. Huh? He couldn't go to the night service and pray for the people and lay hands on them because he had stomach problems. And he couldn't get out of the house. How many times did that happen to Jesus? I mean, when you start talking about that, people say, well, yeah, but then Brother Keith, that's Jesus. Yeah, and you're thinking wrong. You're try, what you're trying to say is he's God. And he could do that because he was God. Well, he was God and he is God and he always will be God. But the Bible said he emptied himself. He laid aside his mighty weight and glory and became like other men. He was not functioning as God in the earth. He was operating as a man. Anointed with the Holy Ghost. Tempted in all points just like us. Yet not one day, not one sick day. Not one. Not one. Not one week, not feeling good day. Not one. Not one. I said, well, I've had some. Me too. Why? Why? Because we were being persecuted for Jesus? No. Then there's only one other cause. Why? Because of our own faults. Why did Jesus never have a bad day like that? (laughs) He didn't miss it, right? He never missed it. Oh, yeah, we're getting somewhere now. (laughs) Glory to God. Did Jesus ever have to cancel a meeting because he didn't have enough finances? No. No, not once. Did he suffer the curse in his life? Not one day until the last day when he was made a curse for us. That wasn't because of him. That was for us. Oh, just lift your hands and thank God right now for that. Father, we thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you for redeeming us from all the curse of the law. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians. Let's get into something that is, to me, a perfect example of uh, how people make mistakes in this area of mixing together cursing and persecution. In the book of Galatians, chapter 4, I'm really thankful the Lord let me speak on this. It tells me something about you. Right? You must be ready for it. Right? How many want to know the truth? Even if it makes you look bad on something, you, huh? Tell me the truth, right? Tell me the truth. Because what? The truth, it'll make you free. You'll get free. It is so sad that so many Christians are laying down 
being destroyed. In so many churches and all across this planet, when we have the authority in Jesus' name and we got the power in the Holy Spirit to resist and overcome. But you're not going to resist something that you think is God trying to teach you. You're not going to fight the good fight of faith against something that you believe is God working some divine purpose in you that you don't understand. And the devil loves it. Oh, he loves it because he's the destroyer. And he's just destroying right and left, front and back. And when people try to look at him, he goes, it's God. And you better just, you know, gird up your loins and bear your cross like a man. Because God has some reason. Well, what is it? <laughs> and so many times it's a mystery because it's a lie. <laughs> okay, let's look at one right here. That As we get into it, you're going to see this is very, very popular. In a lot of denominations and groups that do not believe that it's God's will for you to be healed, for instance. And that believe that sickness is often a blessing in disguise. Is sickness a curse? Or is it a blessing? Does it destroy something? Does it steal something? Does it kill something? Then how can it be a blessing? And people that preach these things, they don't even believe it themselves. They'll stand there and argue with you and spit and almost cuss about, well, now I just believe that God has his reasons. And Monday morning they'll be at the doctor's office trying to get rid of it. Well, that's being a hypocrite. If God put it on you and you believe it, then why are you trying to get rid of it? Don't be a hypocrite. If it's your cross to bear, then bear it. See, people only believe stupid stuff like that in church. Monday morning comes around, they don't believe that. They're like, I'm going to get rid of this blessing. Please, Doc, can you cut this blessing out of me? Right? Because it ain't a blessing. It never was a blessing. It never will be a blessing. It's a curse. And the good news is Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Woo! Yeah! Yes! Oh! Ha oh. <laughs> ha! I think we could get excited for this is over. What do you think? Have you got it real clear in your mind? Yes. Cursing. Yes. Persecution. Yes. Not the same thing. Yes. Suffering persecution for the Lord's sake. For doing what he told you to do. Right? Can you suffer curses for the Lord's sake? No, you can't. That's suffering for what? For your own faults. And I, for one, get weary of hearing people blame God 
for them suffering for their own faults. Hmm? I do. Well, we just don't know what the Lord is doing. Why is it always only the Lord? When do we ever talk about us? And what we're doing and what we're not doing? Well, listen to this. Galatians. The fourth chapter. Are you there? Verse 12. He said, brethren, I beseech you. Galatians 4.12. Be as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now people have taken this. And they have put it with other scriptures that they did not understand either. (laughs) And concocted these fairy tales that have been taught in seminaries for hundreds of years and then preached from pulpits all across the country and people just swallow it and believe it. Let me give you one man's explanation of this. This supposedly learned man said that what happened here is that Paul uh, contracted a rare oriental disease called ophthalmia. He explains it in his book. He said, uh, and I looked it up to see what ophthalmia means, it is a severe inflammation of the eye. Common lay terms uh, nowadays are, one word is pink eye. But they're, you know, and you see pink eye in livestock. And there are mild forms of it. And then there are extreme devastating forms of it. They had some pictures that were just awful. And this man goes into uh, this description of how that Paul had ophthalmia. And how that his eyes had become bloody masses oozing with pus. And how that when the people saw him, they couldn't hardly look at him. And they said, oh, Paul, we wish we could pull our eyes out and give them to you because you look so awful. And then he said, and that's what Paul was praying about in 2 Corinthians 12 when he talked about that thorn in the flesh. And that he begged God three times to heal him from ophthalmia. And God said, nope. I get more, now this is this man's words, now I'm just continuing to quote him. I get more glory out of you preaching with ophthalmia. It's bringing me glory for the people to see how you persevere 
through this unspeakable pus. (laughs) These are his words. And that God told him, my grace is sufficient for you to live and preach for me without foul man. Have you ever seen the word ophthalmia in these scriptures? Have you ever seen anything about eye disease? Hmm? Or unspeakable pus? (laughs) Then why? Why? Now you know as I'm talking, this is widely accepted. Some form of this is widely accepted. Why? Why? And I said, well, it said he was sick. No, it did not. It did not say the man was sick. Ever. It said he had a weakness. Infirmity. Look it up. It literally means weakness. It does not automatically mean disease. It means weakness. He had a weakness. In the flesh. Now this is not a figure of speech. This is literal. It was in his flesh. Weakness in his flesh. Can you have a weakness in your flesh. And not be diseased. You can. So why just fill in the blanks. And concoct stories. Now why not just stay with the text. And say he had a weakness in his flesh. And if you don't know what it was. We'll just say we don't know what it was. But don't concoct big stories. Because what they're saying is that the man was cursed for serving God. I can't accept that. Do you accept that? I can accept he was persecuted, but not cursed. And eyes with unspeakable pus is a curse. In anybody's book, right? I mean, ain't no way you can make a blessing out of that. That's a curse. I can't accept that he's suffering this eye disease for the Lord's sake. The answer to Bible questions are found where? In the Bible. Now come back and look. I beseech you. He said, verse 13, you know how that through infirmity, a weakness of the flesh. Now, these modern translations that say sickness, don't you believe it? That's their paraphrase. That's their doctrine coming through. They're not translating correctly. Look the word up and see what I'm talking about. It literally means weakness. And you could be weak because of a disease. Right? You could be weak. Because of a physical problem, a disease, or sickness. But you could also be weak because of something else. Does the Bible tell us anything that... Look, he said, when I preached to you at the first, the first time I came and preached to you, I had this weakness in my flesh. Now go over to 1 Timothy. Excuse me, 2 Timothy. I told you wrong. 2 Timothy. Third chapter. 2 Timothy 3, he says in verse 11, 2 Timothy 3, 11, 
Well, let me read verse 10. He said, you have fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, patience, persecutions, and afflictions, which came to me at Antioch. Did he say anything about sicknesses or curses? No. He did mention persecutions that came to me, and he mentions specific places. Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Now he uses the word again. What did he endure? Curses? Ophthalmia? No, what? Persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. So whatever it was that was causing him the weakness in the flesh... We know he overcame. The Lord delivered him out of all of them. Right? Whatever it was. But let's go on. He said, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall be cursed. Absolutely no. Shall what? So is he talking about him suffering curses in his body for serving the Lord? No, he is not. He's talking about him being persecuted. Well, do we have a record of any persecution that happened to him the first time he came and preached to these people? We have a written record of it in the book of Acts, chapter 14. Turn. And I'll give you a little preview. It has nothing to do with ophthalmia. Do you know why I'm saying all this? It is not okay for people to make up these big lies. Did you hear me? And just concoct all these stories to try to prove what they believe. And teach it as Bible. When it's nowhere in the Bible. We know Paul had a weakness in his flesh. The first time he came and preached, and he says, at uh, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, we know there was something in him, and it could have been something about his eyes, because they said, you know, if you would, you could have pulled your eyes out and given them to me. Could have been something with his eyes, but you have to add to the scripture to say disease, and he calls it persecution. So how can you call it a curse? We know disease is a curse. Sickness is a curse. What happened to him the first time he showed up and preached to these folks? Acts 14. Are you there? Acts 14. The Bible said, verse 1, Acts 14, 1. It came to pass in where? So we're not making stuff up now. These two passages we just read, they mention these places. And he said, that's when it happened. So here we got a record of what happened. In Iconium, they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and also of Greeks, believed. Verse 3, they spoke boldly in the Lord. He gave testimony to the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. How many suppose, like in other places, that some of those signs and wonders were probably healings and deliverances? That's the way it was in many places. 
Now, how would that work? With his eyes, bloodshot, and unspeakable pus. I know that sounds bad, but that, that's what this guy, this is what some of the stuff is taught in some seminaries. And Paul comes up to these people to pray for him, and he can't have see them. And he's got stuff running out of his eyes. And he said, now look, you know, God saw fit for me to keep this disease here. But maybe he'll set you free from yours. You just never know. Because God could have some purpose. Could they have faith to be healed? There's no way you can have faith to be healed from hearing and believing that. Because you don't know if it's his will or if it's not. And if you don't know his will, you cannot have faith. Faith is built on the revealed, known will of God. It comes by hearing. Hearing the word and the will of God. Now keep reading. Verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided. And part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was a what? Assault. Assault made both of the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to what? To stone them. They were aware of it and they fled to where? Lystra, Derby, cities of Lycaonia, and into the region that lies round about. And there they preached the gospel. So they tried to stone them there. But they got away. And they went to these other places. There were some of them that were mentioned in Second Timothy and these other places. And here they preached, and here's this certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. He heard Paul speak. He steadfastly beheld him. He perceived he had faith to be healed. He said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now come on, do you think that man, watching and listening to Paul preach with unspeakable stuff, (laughs) running out of his eyes, And all his faith comes up in him to jump up and leap and walk and he's never been able to. It just doesn't jive, does it? And I'm not just saying this because he tells them this is when this happened. We know this is exactly when this happened. He said, it was the first time I came to preach to you. Well, what's going on? Keep reading. The people saw what Paul had done. They lifted up their voices saying in the speech of Lycaonia, the gods have come down to us. And if you read the rest of it, you know, Paul and Barnabas barely restrained them from worshiping them and offering sacrifice to them. And verse 19, and there came there certain Jews from where? Antioch and where? This was the last town they'd just been in. And these guys are financing their own way to follow Paul around and do what? Harass him. Is there somebody else behind this? The devil's behind this. And they came to harass him and they persuaded the people and they did what? They stoned. They didn't just talk about it this time. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Now, let's just stop right here. Was there anything happened to Paul? The first time he came to preach to them that could have caused a weakness in his flesh. Well, when somebody gets stoned, do you know what the primary target is? The head. 
Right? So these guys took these big rocks and they hurled them with all their strength at Brother Paul's head. No doubt hitting his eyes. Right? His eyes, his ears, his forehead, his neck. And he was not just standing there and it was okay. He's down. And they assume he's dead. Because he ain't moving. And he's bleeding. And these people have stoned people before. Apparently. Did you ever notice in Jesus' ministry? Every time he'd say something wrong. It said and they took up stones to stone him. I think they must have carried stones with them. To the meetings. They were like. They were ready to throw a rock. How many know there are people today, they might not have a literal physical rock in their hand, but they're ready to throw something. Always ready to find something wrong with it. That spirit's still around. Harassing. These rocks, they're not trying to hurt him. They're intent on killing him. They're trying to bust his skull open. They're trying to kill him. And these rocks hit him. All in the face. All in the head. And they think he's dead. Or else why they'd have kept throwing rocks. Do you understand? They would have kept on throwing them. They are convinced he's dead. He's lifeless. He's laying there in a pool of blood. And his face and his head is a mess. It is battered and beat. Bloody Paul. And verse 20. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him. See, now this has got to be some passage of time. The crowd is satisfied that they've killed him. And they've all left. You get the picture? And his team is standing around him. And they're looking at him. This is their man. This is their apostle. And he's laying there in a pool of his own blood. I don't know how long they were there. How long they stood. But while they stood around him. He rose up. Ah, glory to God. And they got out of town. They got away from that place, right? No. Are you reading? And came into, he went right back into the city. My, my, my. He was not afraid to die. He had no fear of death. Went back into the city. And in the next day, he departed from Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And what? Oh, come on, get this now. And what? And that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Why was that a topic of discussion? Why tribulation and persecution? Why? Why Well, somebody said, well, God raised him up. So he must have been all of his wounds instantly healed. Incorrect assumption. It didn't say that. In fact, we have other scripture that tells us, Paul says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What does he mean by that? Scars. How do you get scars? By healing up naturally. Is that right? Over a period of time. 
So I don't think we have any reason to assume that all of Paul's wounds and injuries were instantly healed. But we have every reason to believe that when he got back up and went back in to preach to them again, he was a bloody mess. And maybe for a little time after that, his eyes. Have you ever seen somebody got hit hard in the eye? It looks bad. Right? He wasn't just hit a little bit. So, do we have anything that we could hook together here as to why Paul would have a weakness in his flesh the first time he came and spoke to them and why they might say, if it had been possible, we'd have pulled our eyes out, Paul, and give them to you. Why? See, that makes more sense, doesn't it? Because here's a man that loves them so much, he got back out and faced death again and came back to preach to us again. That's the kind of love. He said, you loved me. You received me like an angel of the Lord. And you said, if we could have pulled our eyes out and given them to you, Brother Paul, we would have. But, he said, out of all these things, the Lord delivered me. Oh, can you say amen? Amen. Now, let's look at another one. 2 Corinthians 12. That is Paul's infirmity or weakness in the flesh. Right? Are y'all with me? Some folks ought to be taking notes here because it could be tomorrow afternoon that you need to know this. You need to sit down with somebody and help them with this. Did you hear me? Don't just sit here and, and, you know, idle through this. Get it. What are we talking about? We just finished talking about what? Paul's infirmity or his weakness in the flesh. That's one thing. You see, we're talking about how people take different stuff they don't understand and they kind of combine it and put it all together and just are confused. Here's another thing. See, that guy's telling you about, he said that Paul had ophthalmia, for which he has not one scripture and not one shred of evidence to believe so, but he's decided in his own mind that that's what happened, that Paul got sick and had this uh, unspeakable situation. And then he links that together with Paul's thorn in the flesh. Did you hear me now? He links those together and he said that Paul begged the Lord three times to heal him from ophthalmia and the Lord said no. I'm going to say to you right now, these two situations are not the same. He's not talking about the same thing. They are not the same situation. I'm going to show you why I say that. 2 Corinthians 12th chapter. Are you there? Now, 2 Corinthians 12, the Spirit of God through Paul is telling about the visions and revelations that the Lord has given to this man and through him and how true this is. You and I are reading letters that God penned through him right now, right? Revelation. Aren't you thankful for this revelation? It sets us free. Does the devil care if revelation gets into the earth? He is powerless before the truth of God's word. The only way he can operate is to keep people in darkness. Keep them confused. The Bible said if people are lost, 
and they don't see it, their minds are blinded. It's because the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those that believe not. They don't see the light of the glorious gospel. Sometimes people say, well, the battle in the earth is over souls. Yes, but technically, specifically, it's over light. Because if the devil can keep people in darkness, he can keep them in bondage and destruction. And his big deal is to prevent light from getting into people. He doesn't want lost people to see the light of Jesus taking their sins, right, and saving them. He didn't want Christians to see the light. Well, here Paul has been caught up to the third heaven. God has given him all this revelation, all this light, which is one of the big reasons why that he was harassed or persecuted so much. What's the persecution for? To try to keep the light from coming out. See, we need to get a picture of this. When you and I know who we are and have light and walk in it, know we have authority in Jesus' name, know the word of God and are not intimidated and not ashamed. We come into town, we come into a situation, it scares the devil. It bothers him. And these imps are scurrying around, afraid that we're going to tell somebody some truth. Afraid that the light that's in us is going to get out. And that's where the persecution comes in. He wants to try to harass us and try to discredit us some way so that people don't hear us, don't listen to us. That's where the persecution comes. Now listen. Verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the what? Abundance of revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now let's just stop right here. Why did it come? Why was it there? Because of the abundance of revelation. Things God had shown him about redemption. Right? And he said, there was given to me a what? A thorn in the flesh. Now, here's something very important to remember. The passage we read in Galatians about the infirmity in the flesh, that is not figurative. That is literal. There was a weakness in Paul's body. We have reason to believe it was from his stoning. Here, a thorn in the flesh, this is not literal. This is a figure of speech. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, then you've seen it numerous times. Everybody say thorn in the flesh. flesh. Today it'd be like us saying pain in the neck. Now, when you talk about a situation being a pain in the neck, do you always mean literally that there is physical pain? In your, no, you said neck, but did you literally mean neck? No. Now, again, don't take my word for it. Let me read some things to you. Listen to this. Don't turn to them, but just listen to it. Numbers thirty-three fifty-five. 
Numbers 33, 55. He said, if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land from you, it'll come to pass that those that remain shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they'll vex you in the land wherein you dwell. They'll be what? Thorns in your side. Is he literally talking about Canaanites sticking out of your side? No, what's he saying? What is a thorn in the flesh? It is a constant irritation. Right? Let me give you some more scripture. Joshua 23.13. Joshua 23.13. He said, Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out these nations before you, but they will be snares and traps to you. There will be scourges in your sides. There will be thorns in your eyes. Judges 2.3. He said, there'll be thorns in your sides. Second Samuel 23, he said, these people will be thorns to you. I could go on. I could give you another half dozen. But do you see, this was a common phrase in the Old Testament about a thorn in the side. But it's a figure of speech. He's not literally talking about a thorn in your flesh. It's a figure of speech like pain in the neck. Now, you can't, part of it can't be literal and part of it figurative. Somebody said, well, now, bless God, I believe he was talking about literally something in his flesh. Well, you can't just divide the phrase up. If flesh is literal, then thorn has to be literal. Right? And if he really had a thorn in his flesh, why did he need to pray three times about it? We could just said, Paul, brother, get you some tweezers. Right? And get that thorn. Right? Get that thorn out and you'll be okay. Well, it was not a literal thorn and it was not his literal flesh. It's a figure of speech. And there's no need in debating and wondering and what was it? The very next phrase tells you what it was. Are you there? 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the abundance of revelations, there was given to me what? What's a thorn in the flesh? A pain in the neck. A constant irritation. What was it? Huh? A blessing from God? No. A what? A messenger. That word literally means a sent one. From where? Not from God. From the devil. Now, he goes on to say, a messenger of Satan, how much plainer can you be? To do what? Buffet. Buffet means to strike repeatedly. Hit again. Does that sound like harassment? Harassment. Harassment. Did Paul have challenges in his life and ministry? I mean, read this previous chapter, this 11th chapter and this 12th. Well, uh, let me read it to you. (laughs) Back up to chapter 11. Verse 23, 11, 23. He said, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. What does that mean? How many times was he beat? Why was he beat? 
for doing what God told him to do. Right? For preaching what God gave him, the revelation that God gave him. Is that being cursed? No. No. That's being persecuted. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, often. Near death, often. Well, we know he was laying there in the pool of his own blood from being stoned. He said, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. I don't think we really realize what that means. Five different occasions in his ministry where he was beat with the 39 stripes on each occasion. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now that don't count the other five times. Three times they beat him with sticks. Once I was stoned. (laughs) Now most people do not get to say that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He said, yeah, I was stoned one time. (laughs) Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. How many know a lot of people don't make it through that? Three, not one time, three different times. Ships went down under him. And he drifted out there in the ocean with the sharks. A day and a night at a time before somebody found him. Grace of God that they found him. This was before the days of search and rescue. Right? In journeyings often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils by my own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, fastings, cold, nakedness. You know what is conspicuous for its absence in this list? Sickness. It would have been a good time to mention it. Right? He was covering everything else, right? It would have been a perfect time to throw it in. Man, I've been sick for months at a time. It's not there. Why? Because he's not talking about curses. He's talking about persecution. Oh, come on, come on, come on. No, it's not there. Why? Because he wasn't sick. He was supernaturally healthy. How in the world could a man survive all of this and be and preach and travel the world in those days? He was healed. He was restored. He was strengthened. He was quickened again and again and again. But now notice this list. He had supernatural trouble. Do you see this? This is not normal. Right? <laughs> Go back and look at the list again. This, for we're not talking about a bunch of people. We're talking about one man has been through all of this. And this is just a few verses before he says, there was given to me a messenger of say. See, you've got to take all this together. It's got to be in context. This is the 11th chapter. comes right before the 12th chapter. What was he talking about? What was he preaching about? About all these things that had happened to him because of this revelation that God had given him. 
And well, you know, after the first being beat with 39 stripes, you'd be tired of that. Right? After the first shipwreck, you'd be tired of that. But after five scourgings and three rod beatings and three shipwrecks and the list just goes on and on and on. Now you get to chapter 12 and he's going, God, take this away from me. Get this off of me. Get what off of you? Come on, read now. Read. For this thing, I besought the Lord three times that it. It refers to what? Not a sickness, not a disease. The messenger of Satan. This thing he said was a constant irritation to me. It was a thorn in my side. Every time I had a meeting, here here comes these devil-inspired people. Stir something up, and I got beat again. Right? I go to the next place and here comes a storm and another shipwreck. And here comes this and here comes another. And finally, I mean, he's not, you know, questioning about this is a messenger sent from hell to stop me from preaching and to cause me problems. And he besought the Lord repeatedly, Lord, make this thing leave me. Now, see, we, so much of the revelation that you and I have about our life, we got it through the Holy Ghost, through Paul. Right? He learned something this day. Come on, do you see this? The Lord did not teach us to pray and ask him to make the devil leave us alone. Are you with me? I know millions of Christians are doing it, but he didn't do it. What did he say? You resist the devil and he will flee from you. Is that what he said? Look what he said. He said... For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And the Lord said, no, now this is your cross to bear. Huh? No. What did he say? See, people read this like the Lord is saying, no, no, now this is from me. And, and you're going to get purified and, and learn some things. To this. No, no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. What does that mean? Every time he's in a bad situation, there is grace there that's going to come up in him and enable him to overcome. And that's when he gets stirred up. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my what? What does infirmity mean? See, now if you put the word sickness in there, you're doing the whole passage a disservice because he gave us an extensive list in chapter 11 and sickness is not in it. Right? I will glory in my what? Weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in weaknesses. And see, he mentions the weaknesses are in connection with what? Reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for who? Not my own mistakes. For Christ's sake. Why? So that I'm just defeated? No. When I am weak... Then am I strong. Every time, yeah, there are devils. Yeah, the enemy tries some stuff. But every time he tries something, the grace of God in me is more than enough and comes up in me and I overcome. 
And see, progressive revelation in the one time we get to John, he said, don't you know, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? There's no defeat in here. There's no disease in here. There's no curse in here. People have fabricated it. They've made it up. But I don't believe it. How about you? No. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Yeah, we serve God. We could go through some stuff. Right? We haven't been redeemed from that. And there needs to be preaching about this because there's a lot of people, they begin to take just a little bit of harassment and they quit. No, you've got to be willing to go through anything. You've got to be willing to die. Right? To do what the Lord told you to do. There is such a thing as martyrdom. According to the will of God. But it's got nothing to do with a curse. Hmm? Got nothing to do with disease. Got nothing to do with anything mentioned and listed in the curse of the law that we have been redeemed from. Stand on your feet, please. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.